Book six, chapter three of the history of Sir Richard Carmody. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Anne Fletcher, Richmond, Tasmania, two thousand and twenty. The history of Sir Richard Carmody by Lucas Mallet. Book six, chapter three concerning a spirit in prison upon those moments of rapture followed days of trembling during which the sands of richard carmody's life ran very low and his brain wandered in delirium and he spoke unwittingly of many matters of which it was unprofitable to hear periods of unconsciousness when he lay as one dead periods of incessant utterance now violent in unavailing repudiation now harsh with unavailing remorse alternated and at this juncture much of lady carmody's former very valiant pride asserted itself in tender jealousy for the honour of her beloved one she shut the door of that sick room of sinister aspect against brother and friend and even against the faithful clara none should see or hear richard in his present alienation and abjection save herself and those who had hitherto ministered to him he should regain a measure at least of his old distinction and beauty before any beyond these looked on his face and so his own men-servants captain vanstone capable humorous and alert and price the red-headed welsh first mate a varied and voluminous gift of invective continued to nurse him these men loved him they would be loyal in silence since whatever his lapses dicky was and always had been as catherine reflected among the number of those happily endowed persons who triumphantly give the lie to the cynical saying that no man is a hero to his valet de chambre to herself catherine reserved the right to enter that sinister sick-room whenever she pleased and to sit by the bedside waiting for the moment should it ever come when richard would again recognize her and give himself to her again and those vigils proved a searching enough experience notwithstanding her long apprenticeship to service of sorrow which was also the service of her son for in the mental and moral nudity of delirium he made strange revelation not only of acts committed but of inherent tendencies of character and of thought he spoke with bewildering inconsequence and intimacy of incidents and of persons with whom she was unacquainted causing her to follow him a rather brutal pilgrimage into regions where the feet of women bred and nurtured like herself but seldom tread he spoke of persons with whom she was well acquainted also and whose names arrested her attention with pathetic significance offering for the moment secure standing ground amid the shifting quicksand of his but half comprehended words he spoke of morabita the famous prima donna and of gentle mrs chiffney down at the brockhurst racing stables he grew heated in discussion with lord fallowfield he petted little lady constance quail he called camp coaxed and chaffed the dog merrily whereat lady carmody rose from her place by the bedside and stood at one of the dim shuttered windows for a while he spoke of places too and of happenings in them from west church to constantinople from a norch at singapore to a country fair at farley row but recurrent through all his wanderings were allusions unsparing in revolt and in self-abasement 
to a woman whom he had loved and who had dealt very vilely with him putting some unpardonable shame upon him and to a man whom he himself had very basely wronged the name neither of man nor woman did catherine learn madame de valorbe's name for which she could not but listen he never mentioned nor did he mention her own and recurrent also running as a black thread through all his speech was lament not unmanly but very terrible to hear the lament of a creature captive maimed imprisoned perpetually striving perpetually frustrated in the effort to escape and noting all this catherine not only divined very dark and evil pages in the history of her beloved one but a struggle so continuous and a sorrow so abiding that in her estimation at all events they cancelled and expiated the darkness and evil of those same pages while the mystery both of wrong done and sorrow suffered so wrought upon her that having in the first ecstasy of recovered human love deserted and depreciated the godward love a little she now ran back imploring assurance and renewal of that last in all penitence and humility lest deprived of the counsel and sure support of it she should fail to read the present and deal with the future aright if indeed any future still remained for that beloved one other than the yawning void of death and inscrutable silence of the grave the better part of a week passed thus and then one fair morning winter bringing her breakfast to the anteroom of that same sea-blue sea-green bedchamber some time tenanted by helen de valorbe disclosed a beaming countenance mr powell wishes me to inform your ladyship that sir richard has passed a very good night he has come to himself my lady and has asked for you the butler's hands shook as he set down the tray i hope your ladyship will take something to eat before you go downstairs he added mr powell told sir richard that it was still early and he desired that on no consideration should you be hurried which little word of thoughtfulness on dicky's part brought a roundness to catherine's cheek and a soft shining into her sweet eyes so that honoria st quentin sauntering into the room just then with her habitual lazy grace stood still a moment in pleased surprise noting the change in her friend's appearance why dear cousin catherine she asked what's happened all's right with the world yes catherine answered god's very much in his heaven to-day and all's right with all the world because things are a little more right with one man in it that is the woman's creed always has been i suppose and i rather hope always will be it is frankly personal and individualistic i know possibly it is contemptibly narrow-minded still i doubt if she will readily find another one which makes for greater happiness or fullness of life you don't agree dearest i know nevertheless pour out my tea for me will you i want to dispose of this necessary evil of breakfast with all possible despatch richard has sent for me he has slept and is awake and as miss st quentin served her dear friend she pondered this speech curiously saying to herself yes i did write though i never liked ludovic quayle better than now and never liked any other man as well as i like ludovic quayle but that's not enough i'm getting hold of the appearance of the thing 
but i haven't got hold of the thing itself and so the woman in me must continue to be kept in the back attic she shall be denied all further development she shall have nothing unless she can have the whole of it and repeat cousin catherine's creed from her heart richard did not speak when lady carmody crossed the room and sat down at the bedside he barely raised his eyelids but he felt out for her hand across the surface of the sheet and she took the proffered hand in both hers and fell to stroking the palm of it with her finger-tips and this silent greeting and confiding contact of hand with hand was to her exquisitely healing it gave an assurance of nearness and acknowledged ownership more satisfying and convincing than many eloquent phrases of welcome and so she too remained silent only indeed permitting herself for a little while to look at him lest so doing she should make further demand upon his poor quantity of strength a folding screen in stamped leather of which age had tempered the ruby and gold to a sober harmony of tone had been placed round the head of the bed throwing this last into clear quiet shadow the bed linen was fresh and smooth richard had made a little toilet his silk shirt open at the throat was also fresh and smooth he was clean-shaven his hair cropped into that closely fitting bright brown cap of curls catherine perceived that his beauty had begun to return to him though his face was distressingly worn and emaciated and the long purplish line of that unexplained scar still disfigured his cheek his hands were little more than skin and bone indeed he was fragile she feared as any person could be who yet had life in him and she wondered rather fearfully if it was yet possible to build up that life again into any joy of energy and of activity but she put such fears from her as unworthy for were they not together he and she actually and consciously reunited that was sufficient the rest could wait and to-day as though lending encouragement to gracious hopes the usually gloomy and cavernous room had taken to itself a quite generous plenishing of air and light the heavy curtains were drawn aside the casements of one of the square squat windows were thrown widely open the slatted shutters without were partially opened likewise a shaft of strong sunshine slanted in and lay like a bright highway across the rich colours of the persian carpet the air was hot but nimble and of a vivacious and stimulating quality it fluttered some loose papers on the writing-table near the open window it fluttered the delicate laces and fine muslin frills of lady carmody's morning gown there was a sprightly mirthfulness in the touch of it not unpleasing to her for it seemed to speak of the ever-obtaining youth the incalculable power of recuperation the immense reconstructive energy resident in nature and the physical domain and there was comfort in that thought she turned her eyes from the bed and its somewhat sorrowful burden the handsome head the broad though angular shoulders the face immobile and mask-like with closed eyelids and unsmiling lips reposing upon the whiteness of the pillows and fixed them upon that radiant space of outer world visible between the dark framing of the half-open shutters beyond the dazzling black-and-white chequer of the terrace and balustrade they rested on the cool green of the formal garden 
the glistering dome and slender columns of the pavilion set in the angle of the terminal wall and this last reminded her quaintly of that other pavilion embroidered with industry of innumerable stitches upon the curtains of the state bed at home that pavilion set for rest and refreshment in the midst of the tangled ways of the forest of this life where the heart may breathe in security fearless of care the pursuing leopard which follows all too close behind owing to her position and the sharp drop of the hillside naples itself the great painted city its fine buildings and crowded shipping was unseen but far away the lofty promontory of sorrento sketched itself in palest lilac upon the azure of the sea and the sky and as catherine reasoned if this fair prospect after so many ages of tumultuous history and the shock of calamitous events after battle famine terror of earthquake and fire devastation by foul disease could still recover and present such an effect of triumphant youthfulness such at once august and mirthful charm might not her beloved one lying here broken in health and in spirit likewise regain the glory of his manhood and the delight of it notwithstanding present weakness and mournful eclipse yes it would come right come right catherine told herself thereby making one of those magnificent acts of faith which go so far to produce just that which they prophesy god could not have created so complex and beautiful a creature and permitted it so to suffer save to the fulfilment of some clear purpose which would very surely be made manifest at last god almighty should be justified of his strange handiwork and she of her love before the whole of the story was told and stirred by these thoughts and by the fervour of her own pious confidence Catherine's fingertips travelled more rapidly over the palm of that outstretched and passive hand. Then on a sudden she became aware that Richard was looking fixedly at her. She turned her head proudly, the exaltation of a living faith very present in her smile. "'You are the same,' he said slowly. His voice was low, toneless, and singularly devoid of emotion. "'Deliciously the same. You are just as lovely.' you still have your pretty colour you are hardly a day older he paused still regarding her fixedly i'm glad you've got on one of those white frilly things you used to wear i always liked them catherine could not speak just then this sudden and complete intimacy unnerved her it was so long since any one had spoken to her thus it was very dear to her yet the toneless voice gave a strange unreality to the tender words it's a matter for congratulation that you are the same richard went on since everything else it appears is destined to continue the same one should have one thing it is agreeable to contemplate in that connection considering the vast number of things altogether the reverse of agreeable which one fondly hoped one was rid of for ever and which intrude themselves he shifted himself feebly on the pillows, and the flicker of a smile crossed his face. "'Poor dear mother,' he said. "'You see again, without delay, the old bad habit of grumbling.' Oh, "'Grumble on, grumble on, my best beloved,' Catherine murmured, while her fingertips travelled softly over his palm. 
verily and indeed you are the same richard rejoined once more he lay looking full at her until she became almost abashed by that unswerving scrutiny it came over her that the plane of their relation had changed richard was as never heretofore her equal a man grown suddenly he spoke can you forgive me and so far had catherine's thought journeyed from the past so absorbed was it in the present that she answered surprised my dearest forgive what injustice ingratitude desertion richard said neglect systematic cruelty there is plenty to swell the list all i boasted i would do i have done and more his voice until now so even and emotionless faltered a little i have sinned against heaven and before thee and i am no more worthy to be called thy son catherine's hand closed down on his firmly all that as far as i am concerned is as though it was not and never had been she answered so much for judgment on earth dearest while in heaven thank god we know there is more joy over the one sinner who repents than over the ninety and nine just persons who need no repentance and you really believe that richard said speaking half indulgently and half ironically as if to a child assuredly i believe it but supposing the sinner is not repentant but merely cowed richard straightened his head on the pillows and closed his eyes you gave me leave to grumble well then i am so horribly disappointed here have life and death been sitting on either side of me for the past month and throwing with dice for me i saw them as plainly as i can see you the queer thing was they were exactly alike yet i knew them apart from the first day and night i heard the rattle of the dice it became hideously monotonous and felt the mouth of the dice-box on my chest when they threw i backed death heavily it seemed to me there were ways of loading the dice i loaded them but it wasn't to be mother life always threw the highest numbers and life had the last throw i praise god for that Catherine said very softly i don't unfortunately he answered i hoped for a neat little execution a little pain perhaps a little shedding of blood without which there is no remission of sins but i suppose that would have been letting me off too easy he drew away his hand and covered his eyes when i had seen you i seemed to have made my final peace i understood why i had been kept waiting till then having seen you i flattered myself i might decently get free at last but i am branded afresh that's all and sent back to the galleys lady carmody's eyes sought the radiant prospect the green of the garden the slender columns of the airy pavilion the lilac land set in the azure of sea and sky no words of hers could give comfort as yet so she would remain silent her trust was in the amiable ministry of time which may bring solace to the tormented human soul even as it reclothes the mountain side swept by the lava stream 
or cleanses and renders gladly habitable the plague-devastated city. But there was movement upon the bed. Richard had turned on his side. He had recovered his self-control, and once more looked fixedly at her. "'Mother,' he said calmly, "'is your love great enough to take me back, and give yourself to me again, though I am not fit so much as to kiss the hem of your garment?' there's neither giving nor taking my beloved she answered smiling upon him in the truth of things you have never left me neither have i ever let you go oh but consider these last four years and their record he rejoined i am not the same man that i was there's no getting away from fact from deeds actually done or words actually said for that matter i have kept my singularly repulsive infirmity of body and to it i have added a mind festering with foul memories i have been a brute to you a traitor to a friend who trusted me i have been a sensualist an adulterer and i am hopelessly broken in pride and self-respect the conceit the pluck even has been licked right out of me Richard paused, steadying his voice, which faltered again. "'I only want, since it seems I've got to go on living, to slink away somewhere out of sight, and hide myself and my wretchedness and shame from everyone I know. Can you bear with me, soured and invalided as I am, mother? Can you put up with my temper and my silence and my grumbling, useless log as I must continue to be?' oh yes everlastingly yes catherine answered richard threw himself flat on his back again oh how i hate myself my god how i hate myself he exclaimed and how beyond all worlds i love you catherine put in quietly he felt out for her hand across the sheet found and held it there were footsteps upon the terrace to the right the scent of a cigar, Ludovic Quayle's voice in question, Honorius St. and Quentin's in answer, both with enforced discretion and lowness of tone. General Ormiston joined them. Miss St. Quentin laughed gently. The sound was musical and sweet. Footsteps and voices died away. A clang of bells and the hooting of an outward-bound liner came up from the city and the port. Richard's calm had returned. His expression had softened. "'Will those two marry?' he asked presently. Lady Carmody paused before speaking. "'I hope so, for Ludovic's sake,' she said. "'He has served, if not quite Jacob's seven years, yet a full five for his love.' "'If for Ludovic's sake, why not for hers?' Dickie asked. Oh, "'Because two halves don't always make a whole in marriage,' Catherine said." you're as great an idealist as ever he paused and then raised himself sitting upright speaking with a certain passion mother will you take me away away from everyone at once just as soon as possible i never want to see this room or this house or naples again the climax was reached here of disillusion and of iniquity and of degradation don't ask what it was i couldn't tell you and mercifully only one person whose lips are sealed in self-defence knows exactly what took place besides myself but i want to get away 
away alone with you who are perfectly unsullied and compassionate and who has forgiven me and who still can love will you come will you take me the yacht is all ready for sea oh, yes catherine said i asked this morning who was here with you and powell told me i can't see them mother simply i can't i haven't the nerve i haven't the face can you send them away oh yes catherine said richard's eyes had grown dangerously bright a spot of colour burned on either cheek catherine leaned over him my dearest she declared you have talked enough yes they're beginning to play again i can hear the rattle of the dice oh, mother take me away take me out to sea away from this dreadful place oh you poor darling how horribly selfish i am but let me get out to sea and then later take me home to brockhurst the house is big nobody need see me no no catherine said laying him back with tender force upon the pillows no one has seen you no one shall see you we will be alone you and i just as long as you wish with me my beloved you are very safe end of chapter 3 of book 6